So good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we celebrated the season of Advent, I had been preaching through the book of James. And we had gotten to the end of chapter 4 before we began the Advent season. This morning we're going to pick up right where we left off with the first six verses of chapter 5. But before we go there, I thought it might be good for us, since we've had a little break from the book, just to have a little reminder of where we have been and what we've learned from James so far. This letter was written by James, who was the brother of Jesus. This James is one of the other children that were born to Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born. And he most likely came to faith after Jesus' resurrection, where 1 Corinthians 15.7 tells us that Jesus appeared to him after he rose from the grave. And in the first verse of the letter, we see that he is writing to the tribes, the 12 tribes that have been scattered among the nations. Now these 12 tribes are descended from the 12 sons of Jacob. They became known as the nation of Israel. And by the time of the first century A.D., these 12 tribes had been scattered all over the place. So this letter, unlike many of the other epistles, wasn't written to one particular church or to one specific person. This letter was written and was expected to be circulated among all the believers in Christ who had come out of the 12 tribes of Israel. This was his intended audience. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this letter is also addressed to us today as Christians living in the year 2023. James began his letter teaching us how to understand the, the place of trials and tribulations in the Christian life. He then went on to speak about having a, a proper view of wealth and riches, which is actually where he's going to again in our passage for today. He then taught about rightly receiving the Word of God so that we will see fruit in our lives and in our ministry. He has a great emphasis on not only hearing, but also doing what the Word says. He taught about submitting our tongues and our speech to the Lord, the difference between worldly wisdom and, and godly wisdom, what it means to humble ourselves before the Lord and to submit ourselves to God, and to trust in Him for the future, not boasting about tomorrow, for none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. And that's where we left off at the end of November. So for this, for this morning, I would ask that you would please take your Bibles with me and turn once again to the book of James, and please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. This morning we will be in James chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. If you're following along in the Pew Bibles, it's found on page 856. <clears throat> now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have con condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. <clears throat> oh Lord, as we look at this passage, we might look at it and think, well, that doesn't apply to us. We haven't done any of those things. 
But Lord, this is your word written to us. So help us, Lord, to see us in this passage. Help us to see you where you are in this passage, Lord, your, your law and your gospel. Lead us through it, Lord, and as always, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now James begins this part of his letter by addressing a group of people that he calls rich people. And again, we might listen to this and immediately think, oh well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not rich. Most of us don't think of ourselves as rich or wealthy, especially when we compare ourselves to people like, I don't know, Bill Gates or Elon Musk, right? But rich is really a relative term. According to Gallup, one-third of the world's population lives on less than $3 a day. Compared to them, most of us are rich. And James is not telling people in any way that it is a sin <coughs> to be rich. I mean, think of some of the people in the Bible that were considered rich, but used their wealth in very good ways. People like Job and, and Joseph and David. Solomon in the New Testament, Lydia, Joseph of Arimathea, all of them and many more who were considered rich but were never condemned for their riches. But James here is speaking to the rich of his day and he's talking to them about their attitude toward their riches and the ways that they use them and abuse them. And the first thing he says to them is that they should weep and wail because of the misery that's coming upon them. Now where else in the Scriptures do we read of weeping and wailing and misery? Every time we hear these words, they're in the context of eternal judgment. Right? The place of judgment is described many times as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So James here is warning these rich people to listen to what he has to say, otherwise they will end up in a place of weeping and wailing, and misery because of their attitudes towards their wealth and those around them. And this is something that James has addressed in his letter before. In chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, James wrote these words, But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, he says, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Now remember, James is writing here to those who have already professed faith, have received grace through faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And he's telling the rich that they need to be careful, that they don't trust in their riches instead of putting their faith in Christ. The warning to the rich is that just as the flowers of the field pass away quickly, so the rich man too will pass away along with his riches. And then what will all of his riches have gained him? If I could sum up this passage for today in one sentence, it would be this. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. How I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. In our passage for today, James tells the rich 
that their wealth has rotted and moths have eaten their clothes. In the first century, wealth was really measured in three ways. Grain, garments, and gold. And in this verse, James is talking about the first two. In those days, grain was stored in barns and and silos, much as it is today. And if the grain sat for too long without being used, eventually it would begin to rot or to spoil. I'm reminded of the parable of the rich fool that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12, where he said the ground of a certain rich man had produced a really abundant crop. And so this man thought to himself, what am I going to do? I don't have enough room to store all of this abundance. So he decided he was going to tear down all his existing barns and build bigger and bigger ones where he could store up everything that he has. But then he said to himself, oh, you've got plenty stored up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But Jesus said, the Lord said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Who then is going to get what you've stored up for yourself? In that parable, Jesus told them that this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. This is the same scenario that James is addressing here in this letter. These rich people have have hoarded their wealth. They have stored it up for themselves and they have so much grain that it's beginning to rot. They've placed their faith in what they have instead of in the Lord. And without faith in the Lord, they will end up in a place of weeping and wailing. He then tells them that moths have eaten their clothes. Now, do we have much of a moth problem today with moths eating our clothes today? Anybody deal with that? I don't think so that much. I'm not talking as well about those kind of pesky Miller moths that show up you know, right around the beginning of summer and are here for about a month. I'm talking about moths that get into our closets and actually eat away at our clothes. Now, I remember when I was young, we would go out to my grandmother's house on Chesapeake Bay, Virginia. Grandma Ada was her name. And she was old school. She gardened, and she cooked everything from scratch. And she held on to all of her clothes. She came from that generation that didn't take anything for granted. But there was a moth problem there. So every time we went to her house, the first thing that I smelled when we walked in the door wasn't her magnificent homemade cooking. No, it was the smell of mothballs. How many of you know what mothballs smell like? Right. Okay. Well, back in the first century, I don't think they had mothballs. But they did have a problem with moths getting into their clothing and eating away at the fabric. And what James is saying here is that they have so many clothes stored up for themselves, they never get around to wearing all of them, so they're wasting away in their closets and being eaten by moths. Again, they feel that they have so much that they can just sit back and relax, kind of like that rich man that Jesus talked about. They can relax and just bask in their wealth and the abundance of their riches, but they don't realize that it's all going to come to nothing in the end if they don't have faith in Christ. James moves on in our passage to talk about their gold and their silver. Remember, again, wealth back then was measured in grain and garments and gold. So he mentions their gold next. 
And he tells them that their gold and silver are corroded. Now, science today will tell us that gold, especially, doesn't corrode. It lasts and lasts and lasts. Silver can tarnish over time, but it too doesn't necessarily truly corrode. Do you know what can tarnish silver immediately? Especially sterling silver? Lutefisk. <laughs> you're you're going to laugh at that. But if you don't believe me, the next time you're around Lutefisk, take a sterling silver serving spoon and go in there and scoop some of it up. That sterling silver will tarnish immediately. We've done this. It happens. Think about what it must do to your insides. Anyway, enough about Lutefisk. James says that their gold and their silver are corroded and that their corrosion will testify against them and eat their flesh like fire. This again is alluding to the final judgment for all who place their faith in anything than Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if gold can't corrode, what is James saying here? Well, the only way that gold and silver can corrode as if they are impure, if they're mixed with other elements that are susceptible to corrosion. This is how corroded gold or silver can be used as evidence against us. Because Christians are to remain pure and unblemished from the world. So if our gold can corrode, then it must be impure, mixed with other tainted materials, worldly materials, that aren't necessarily of the Lord. James doesn't come out and say it here, but I think it's implied that this gold and silver has either been accumulated by dishonest gain or that their attitude concerning their riches is corroded or tarnished. Just like that rich fool from Luke, they've placed all their trust in things that will one day pass away. Now remember, James is writing to believers here. So there are some who have come to faith in Christ and they've either become rich after coming to faith or they were rich before they came to faith. Either way, they're putting their riches first and foremost in their lives and James says they are hoarding them in the last days. Have any of you ever seen the TV show Hoarders? As a show called Hoarders. I've never seen it, so I went online to investigate it and, and look at it. Each episode will profile people who simply cannot let go of anything. They don't throw anything away. Their houses or apartments are literally piled high with things. They have these bit, little paths they have to try and get through to, to maneuver around their homes. Their houses or apartments are literally fire hazards because of the things that they have piled around them. And they can't get around their homes. It's really sad. The show says that this is a disease. It is a disease that can literally bury its sufferer in its symptoms. This is the same word that James uses here to describe the rich. They are hoarders, collecting wealth and keeping it all for themselves, getting more and more, but never sharing it with anyone else or using it for the kingdom of God. Once again, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. Because just like these rich people that James is describing here, for us, our possessions can end up possessing us. 
The last part of verse 3 describes how what we own can end up owning us. James says it will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And I think most of us know what the word evidence is, right? It's the idea of proof. If you're in a a court and there's a a case before the court, they want evidence. They want proof to, to prove the case. Well, our possessions can offer testimony against us and eat away at us. Interestingly, our possessions can kind of rot away slowly, but they can very quickly consume us like fire, just as there's hoarders' homes or fire hazards. Those who store up treasures for themselves and not toward God will face judgment in the last days. I'm reminded of Romans 2.5 where it says, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. So the question is not, do I have money? Because there's nothing wrong with you having money. The question is, does my money have me? As a way to guard against this, James, Jesus, I'm sorry, urges us in Matthew 6 that we read together this morning, He said, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. So these rich people that James is addressing were not storing up treasures in heaven. No, they were storing up, literally hoarding their treasures here on earth, where they are susceptible to loss, to damage, and to corrosion. So I need to remember that The love of money can lead to misery, can lead to all kinds of evil. Riches can rot, and my possessions can possess me. It all depends on my attitude toward what I have. And that really leads us to the final warning that James gives us from that passage, and that is that self-indulgence will lead to sin. When we're overly focused on our own finances and are ignoring the things of the Lord, we can end up also ignoring or blatantly abusing or wronging other people who are in need, especially the poor. Verse 4 says, Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Here is a case where the wrong use of money is speaking very loudly. The tense, the verb tense of that phrase, have failed to pay, or in other translations, have kept back, indicates that the workers will never receive their wages. They've been cheated out of what is rightfully theirs. So already here we have three things. We have their wealth, their withholding of wages, and the workers' testimony that will act as witnesses against them. In this culture back then, landowners were expected to pay their laborers at the end of the day. We get a glimpse of this in Matthew 20, where Jesus told the parable of the workers in the vineyard. In that parable, he said the the landowner, the owner of the vineyard, agreed to pay workers who would come at the beginning of the day a denarius to work for the whole day and sent them out in his vineyard to work. When others came later that morning, he told them that they were to go work in his vineyard and he would pay them whatever was right. Two more times during the day, workers came throughout the day and he told them the same thing. Go and work and I'll pay you what is right. 
and at the end of the day, he paid each man. Now the ones who were hired toward the end of the day, that were hired last, he gave them a denarius, which made the ones who had worked all day think that they were going to receive much more because they had worked a lot longer. And when they received a denarius as well, they began to grumble and be upset. They complained that they had worked all day, they had borne the burden of most of the work in the heat of the day, and these ones who had come toward the end of the day, hey, they received the same amount as us. That's just not fair. But the landowner responded and said to them, did you not agree at the beginning of, in it, at the, beginning of the day to work all day for a denarius? Yes. I've given you what we agreed to. Take your pay and go. If I want to give the man who was hired last the same wage as you, is it not my right to do so? It's my land. It's my money. Are you envious because I'm being so generous to others? And Jesus ended that parable by saying, uh, therefore, the first will be last, and the last will be first. This parable paints a picture for us of the Lord welcoming all into his kingdom who accept his terms of invitation. Whether they knew about him their whole lives or whether they just came to faith sometime recently. The reward is still the same. Now I mentioned this parable because James was talking about the rich withholding the wages of their workers. And when a worker wasn't paid, he and his family would go hungry that night. The Old Testament law spoke about this in many places. In Leviticus 19.13, it says, Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. In Jeremiah 22.13, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. And then Deuteronomy 24.15 adds this, Pay him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and he is counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. And this is what James is saying here. The wages you have failed to pay your workers, they are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The title that James gives to the Lord here, the Lord Almighty, it is the same as the Old Testament, Jehovah Sabaoth, or the Lord of the hosts, or, or the Lord of the angel armies. The name refers to Almighty God's unlimited power to help the poor and deliver the disadvantaged and the oppressed. Jehovah, the name Jehovah, tells us that He is the self-existent One who is personal, who is present, who is powerful, who is the ultimate promise keeper. The word Sabaoth refers to a vast array of angelic warriors. So these workers are crying out for deliverance to the one who has all the hosts of heaven to do his work. This is the plight of the poor and the disadvantaged, especially when they're being taken advantage of by the rich. Now in contrast to the plight of the poor, James says in 5.5, you have lived on earth in luxury, talking about the rich, and self-indulgence, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. This is really a picture of the pigs. Of course, the Jewish people wouldn't have pigs, but let's say the cattle 
who have indulged in their eating, who have gotten fat, have enjoyed life, but they don't realize that they're only being fattened up. Why? To go and be processed as meat to be eaten. James is telling them that they have fattened themselves by living in luxury while withholding that which is due to others, and that the end of them will be the same as those swine or those cattle. Again, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. These men were not being good stewards of what the Lord had given them. And spiritually then, they were destined for destruction. James tells them that they have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing them. In the context of what James is saying here, they have withheld what was due their workers, and in doing so, have condemned their workers and their families to starvation. So in this short passage, we've seen that wealth hoarded can corrode or rot, that the love of wealth or money can corrode corrode our character, and there will be judgment in the future for how we steward what the Lord has given to us. And again, you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I've never hoarded anything the Lord has blessed me with. I always give to the work of the church and I try to give sacrificially to those who don't have all the advantages I've been blessed with. I've never cheated anyone or anything that I owed to Him. And in fact, maybe there is no one here today that falls into the same category as these rich people that James is addressing here. And if so, that's great. That's wonderful. But this passage is a stern reminder to all of us that the Lord wants us to be good stewards of what He has blessed us with and not to withhold from others when we see the needs around us if we're able to help. He has blessed us so we can be a blessing to others, both individually and as a church body. So the question I ask myself, and really it's up to you to ask yourselves these questions, am I hoarding what I think is mine, or am I generous with what God has entrusted to me? It all depends on my viewpoint of what I have. I like what Christian author and speaker Randy Alcorn had to say about this. He said, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. God gives to us so that we can give to others. This is the blessing of following the example of Jesus who gave His all on the cross so that we who were poor in our sin could be made rich in God's grace. And if this is an issue that you're struggling with today, please know that there is grace and forgiveness at the cross of Christ. Jesus went to the cross to take all of our sins upon Himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that through faith in His perfect sacrifice we can be cleansed of our sins and have the righteousness of Christ. So if you're struggling with this sin today or any other sin, come to the cross of Christ for forgiveness and experience God's grace for you today. And remember, how I steward my wealth reveals my spiritual health. The Lord wants you and wants me to be a blessing to those around us. May we be open to His leading as we continue to follow Him in all that we do. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you 
personally that you have blessed me in so many ways. I look at the world around me, Lord, and I realize I could be in, in such different circumstances. The way I was raised, the family I was born into, Lord, the country I was born into. I've truly been blessed. Help me, Lord, to always recognize that what I have comes from you. To not hoard it, to, to uh, not keep it for myself, Lord, but to, to have open eyes and open ears to see and to hear those around me, Lord, who, who maybe you're directing me to share some of that with. To help meet their needs, Lord. Help me not to be a hoarder, but to be a good steward of what you have blessed me with. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.